This is Jerry Bingham, host of Hush Loudly on WGN+. You know, I definitely am able, I think, to sort of stand in the classroom and notice people who are maybe hesitant to engage fully or notice those who are processing internally, who are thinking really deeply about our discussion, about the material, but maybe don't feel a need to share that verbally or to kind of talk through that in the way that other students do. Hi, this is Nate Crado, an assistant professor and director of the Higher Education Leadership Program at National Lewis University, and you're listening to Hush Loudly on WGM. Welcome to Hush Loudly. This is Jerry Bingham. As always, we try to bring interesting guests doing interesting things uh, to share their stories with us. And today I'm so excited, super thrilled to talk to Dr. Nathaniel Credit. And so I'm going to read a little bit about Nate before we get started. He is an assistant professor and the founding director of the Higher Education Leadership Department at National Lewis University, which I'm very familiar with. He has worked with institutions of varying sizes to promote educational justice as a path towards social justice through administrative leadership roles in first-year student transition programs, intercollegiate athletics, student affairs, and civic engagement. In addition, Nate served as a consultant on the development and assessment of multiple graduate and co-curricular programs for the study of higher education in nations with young systems of public education, including Nelson Mandela University in South Africa and ADA University in Azerbaijan. In addition to these accomplishments of practice, Nate's scholarship on timely issues regarding college teaching and post-secondary educational policy has been recognized through state and national media outlets, academic journals, and international academic conferences. His current work is centered on the ways in which state laws to allow concealed weapons on college campuses influence faculty behaviors. This study was the first of its kind to demonstrate that these so-called campus carry laws change teaching and faculty-student interaction in ways that are detrimental to student success and has been recognized for both its practical contributions to the study of higher ed and from a methodological significance as an advancement in qualitative inquiry. He is an amateur home chef a marathon runner, avid traveler, and co-parent to an elderly curmudgeonly pug named Max. So, Nate, welcome to Hush Loudly. Thanks so much, Jerry. I'm so excited to be here. So I have to say, saying that you like having interesting guests, I, I feel like that's a lot to live up to for me. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, no, you're interesting. Everybody's interesting. <laughs> Everybody has a story. So first, Nate, you know, I have to ask you, are you an introvert? Definitely, definitely. You know, I, growing up, I think my my parents were probably a little concerned because uh, <laughs> I I was you know kind of at a young age, you know, more on the the quiet side and and kind of introspective and 
all of those traits that we would associate with introverts. So that's only gotten, you know, probably stronger as, as I've gotten older. Yeah, definitely. I think we all have those stories that go back to childhood and our preferences and, and how our parents may have tried to push us in different directions because, you know, we live in an extrovert rewarding world. So I think we all have these different stories about how we were different or knew we were different, whether we knew it was called an introvert or not. Have you had a personality test like Myers-Briggs or anything like that that has put you in that category or is it just something you just have always known? Yeah, no. So I've, I've definitely, you know, taken my share of those, those personality tests along the way. And, and yeah, I remember, I think the first, first time I did the, the Myers-Briggs test, I, I think I was in high school probably. Oh. And, you know, it, it reminded me, it was you know, sort of at the, the advent of the internet and, and there were, you know, tests online and quizzes and you could, you could log on and see. And I remember the first time I did it, it felt so affirming because yeah. it, it made it clear that there was, you know, I wasn't just the, the weird quiet kid. I wasn't yeah. just the, the, you know, the kid who, who preferred books and, and that sort of thing, but you know, it was really validating. So, so yeah, definitely. And, and I think as I've gotten older, you know, it's, it's confirmed every time. It's kind of more and more heading toward that, that introvert side of the, the spectrum for sure. I love that you had that test early on because I didn't have my first one until I think I was in my 30s at at a company. And so all this time I knew I was different. I was okay with it. But you're right. When I took that test, it was so affirming and it was so empowering and also helped me know I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. It's a bunch of us and we have all these strengths and all this to add. So I, I, I love that you had yours possibly as a teen or in your early 20s, which, you know, I'm sure was very helpful at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it was, you know, I'll, I'll say too, it was, you know, with a teacher who, who did a great job looking back on it of, of making sure that it was affirming for all of us, mm-hmm. right? The, the message, mm-hmm. you know, not, not just for me, but for, for everybody in the class was, you know, sort of look at the, the diversity of, of experiences and personalities and, and ways of moving through the world, you know, isn't that great? Isn't that something to celebrate? And I, I think that for me made that something really sort of for the first time where it wasn't a drawback, right? This wasn't some yeah. sort of deficit. This was yeah. something that, 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 you know, could be useful and, and, and helpful and, and interesting and, and valuable and all of those things that, that you and I know um, to be true about, about introversion, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and let me ask you, so you talked about as a child and you may have preferred reading books or, or doing things that were a little different than other young people. How would you say now as an adult, um, how does your introversion manifest? What are you doing? What introverted things do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think, so from the intro there, you know, the the things that you mentioned around, you know, I, I enjoy running, cooking, you know, those sorts of things, like that is the, the introversion for me. So after a, a long day, after a, a big work day and, you know, spending time kind of externally 
focused and in some ways sort of performing extroversion to, to, you know, move through the day. You know, for me, there's nothing better than coming home and putting on some music and, you know, spending a couple hours alone in the kitchen or going out for a long run. And, and that's really kind of my sort of quiet solitude, you know, time. That's, that's my sort of meditative time even to be able to, you know, shut everything else out and, and process what happened that day or, you know, prepare for the next day or, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think those are the, the biggest ones for me right now in terms of, of events or, or actions to take. But generally speaking, even, I think, you know, I, I'm comparing myself to to my husband, who's a, a stone-cold extrovert, and, mm-hmm. you know, we definitely have some differences in that regard. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's a matter of, I think I, I move through life a little more quiet than he does, perhaps, and a, a little more, you know, I, I sort of am thinking through things a little bit more, whereas he's talking through things or acting through things, you know, but for me, it's a, a matter of kind of starting internally, making sure that I'm thinking before acting, thinking before speaking, really kind of processing first, and then figuring out based on that, how to, to interact with the world around me. And I think that that's very common, too, in dating and in relationships and in marriages, I find. Me, myself, I am always seem to be paired with an extrovert. And, mm-hmm. and even my girlfriends, my friends who are around me, I have a couple that are introverts, but more are extroverts. And I get something out of both relationships and relationships with both personality types, and I'm sure that they get something out of me. So it's something cool about that that balance. And even as you talked about the diversity of just personality styles, so not only professionally and academically, but at home, it's just cool to have the views and the styles of different people working together, you know, all in love and all yeah. in fun. So I think that's very cool and very common. And and yeah. I'm talking about academically, I brought that up because you are an educator, and you are teaching, you're advising, you're leading. Is your introversion an asset or is it a deficit? And if it is, either how? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question. And I, and I, I think the answer is, is sort of both. It's a, it's a little of column A and a little of column B. You know, definitely going back to those, those earlier, you know, personality tests and, and the career aptitude sort of tests that, that many of us take, as as teenagers and young adults, I, you know, it was always one of the things that that was suggested for me was the the life of a professor, right? It is in many ways sort of a, a solitary position. It's something where I spend a lot of time in my office on research and and these sort of solo pursuits. And so I think in, in that regard, it's definitely an asset, right? I I can can sit in my office all day writing or or reading. And, you know, were it not for my watch reminding me to stand up once in a while, I, I would let the whole day pass that way and, and, and really enjoy it. So I think it's an asset, absolutely, in that regard. Where I see it sometimes being a deficit, and and I, I hesitate with that term a little bit, but, but, but I, you know, I think it's the best way to describe it, is... In any of the the sort of collective ways that we um, we we work together, so you know, I'm just coming off of a, a, a faculty meeting that was lovely, and I, I appreciate my colleagues, but it was also kind of draining and, and sort of exhausting. You know, whenever I, I teach, our, our classes are three hours long, and 
that sort of ruined me for the day. You know, I'll, I'll teach a class and come home and need to, you know, take a nap and, and sort of sit and, and be quiet for a moment. And so I, I think in, in that regard, we could see it a little bit as a, as a deficit or, or maybe as a, a challenge. It's a sort of a, a different accommodation afterward that becomes necessary. It's yeah. a different sort of, you know, way that I approach the rest of my day to, to kind of balance out any sort of, you know, majorly extroverted kind of actions. But, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of, I think, how you choose to, to look at it, how you choose to um, or are able to apply your personality in different settings or, you know, that sort of piece to it. So it's, it's for me, really sort of both an asset and um, in some ways a challenge, depending on, on the setting, the, the situation. But, you know, certainly I think those, those personality tests and, and career aptitude tests were right, that being a professor is a, a, pretty, good, a, a pretty good fit for someone who, um, who is more on the, the introverted side. Mm-hmm. I wonder about, so I know I met you probably about three, three and a half years ago, and I wonder when you were interviewing for the position. Yeah. And this is something my introvert friends and I always talk about how the role may be just for you and and you know that you can make an immediate impact, but society may perceive your personality type as not enough or not what they mm-hmm. think that person should be. And I wonder when you were interviewing how was that? And and some of us talk about how we masquerade as extroverts just to get the job. And then we know that our work will speak for itself once we get in there. But to get the interview and to get the job, we may have to change some things and perform as an extrovert. Have you had that experience either now, I mean, at your current role or, or previously? Yeah, absolutely. I love that description of it as sort of a, a performative act that, you know, you are sort of kind of putting on the mask of, of being an extrovert because that's the um, sort of the, the, the dominant trade in, in society. So, yeah, absolutely. The, you know, faculty interviews, interviews for, for professor positions tend to be um, exhausting and, and marathon-like. You know, they, they tend to be a full day on campus meeting various people, if not it, you know, if not multiple days, depending on, on the position and the institution. And so, yeah, you know, the, the interview at National Lewis was, you know, was a, a full day, very, you know, bright and early, starting with, with breakfast with potential colleagues and then, you know, a series of meetings and then lunch with, with more potential colleagues, a presentation, you know, and met with the, the university's provost, the dean, you know, it becomes this, this really long day, definitely, of, of that, that performance performance of extroversion because that's the expectation. And, you know, one of the things that, that made that a little better for me is the university, the associate dean who, who was sort of my shepherd that day on campus, had actually reserved a, a vacant office space for me for the day so that I could go back that's and... so um, Oh, it was. It totally was. You know, I was able to go back between meetings and, you know, take five minutes, close the door, collect myself, catch my breath, and then exactly, exactly. And it was just the best. It was such a gift to me that, that he did that. And then, you know, funnily enough, I, because I, I knew this about myself and I knew this was my sort of the, the way that that day was going to hit me was, was to be sort of exhausting. 
you know, I then at the end of that day went back to my hotel and I, you know, opened a, a bottle of wine and <laughs> and had a nice bubble bath and, yes. and watched some Netflix and had a glass of wine and just relaxed for the entire rest of that evening yeah. um, before going back home the next day. So, you know, it's it's those kind of things where I think introverts sort of carve out ways to, to move through the world or so, to accommodate and balance that need to perform extroversion. You know, I think the lesson there for me is, it, you know, it's something that we can be supported in as well by people, you know, kind of making space for us to do that. Yes, yes. Wow, that's great. And and back to your being a professor and, and presenting and teaching, you know, for some introverts, you know, we're all on the spectrum and some introverts are shy, some are not. But for some of us, it is difficult to get up in front of a room of people and speak. Is it difficult for you? Was it? Or, you know, and, and how have you worked that through? How have you managed that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, for myself personally, it gets better over time. It's gotten, I think, more routine. So, you know, certainly I used to be very nervous. I can remember in grad school, you know, anytime I had to to speak in front of the class, whether that was a formal sort of presentation or even just, you know, raising my hand and, and making a comment or, you know, engaging in a discussion, it, you know, it used to make me really nervous. And I, I used to notice myself even becoming a little bit shaky, uh, just, you know, physically shaky even, and and wondering why that was. You know, like there's no, there was no reason for me to be nervous to speak in class. There was no, you know, I'm in a room of colleagues and, and people who are supportive. But nonetheless, it still happened. And so over time, certainly that's gotten, that, that has, has certainly dissipated for me. I, I definitely, you know, don't find that anymore. But I think what, what, what I still hold from that is an ability to really kind of key in on that happening for other students. So, you know, I definitely am able, I think, to sort of, you know, stand in the classroom and, and notice people who are, you know, maybe hesitant to, to engage fully or notice those who are, you know, processing internally, who are thinking really deeply about, about our discussion, about the material, but maybe don't feel a need to, to share that verbally or to, you know, kind of talk through that in the way that other students do. I think, you know, quite often, faculty or, or teachers, you know, see the people who, who are sitting back in a discussion as the people who are not engaged or, or maybe not paying attention or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, my experience as a student helped me realize that that's not the case always, you know. It could be that, that students are, you know, thinking and, and, and cognitively engaging, you know, really intensely with what we're doing. But that may just not manifest itself as a, you know, verbal discussion. And that can be perfectly fine because, in fact, we know that to, to sort of force a student to, to participate in discussion or to call on them out of the blue um, would actually be counterproductive in, in some cases for, for introverted students. So, so for me, it takes that approach where I think I'm a, a little more predisposed to keep an eye out for students who, who are like me and, and who are certainly engaging, certainly, you know, paying attention. They're great students. Um, but maybe that's just not, you know, coming out, out loud. And so, I always try to tell students that, you know, in my classes, you know, I'm never going to call on you. You always have the right to remain silent because um, we know that, that for some students, that's, that's the right approach. And, mm -hmm. and so I want to definitely model that. 
Well, I commend you for that. That That is wonderful. And I want to make a comment about there is a colleague of mine who doodles during presentations and, and during instruction. And it was weird to me at first, but I found out she hears and listens and is, is absorbing everything. And mm-hmm. we talked about it at one point, and she talked about how something about it, it helps her focus and helps her as she processes. And so that may look to some professor as, this girl isn't even listening. She's doodling. And so, you know, it's interesting that we all process, we all learn, we all hear in different ways. And she is an introvert as well. So I'm, I'm glad that you are recognizing that because obviously you see it in yourself. And on the flip side, I wonder about, so we also have the extreme extroverts who can't stop talking. And so when you have a classroom and you have someone who can't stop talking, I mean, there are those introverts. We may not want to say anything anyway, but with a person who's constantly talking, we just let them have the floor. And so how do you deal with that dynamic? Or are you able to sort of not minimize, but how do you manage that someone who does all the talking and um, completely tries to, you know, monopolize the conversation and the, the happenings of the class that day? Yeah, you know, that's such a good question. I, I chuckle when you ask that because I think any of us who have been in any sort of classroom setting with, with other adults certainly can think of that person, right? There's inevitably, I think, one, uh, you know, a person in every class that, mm-hmm. um, you know, really, really does kind of talk at length. And, and you know, it's funny. So I, I think, you know, when I was a student, that was the person who <laughs> was probably really irritating to me. Yes, very. Um, as, <laughs> as, you know, a, a professor or a teacher, I, you know, you have to to try hard not to be irritated by yeah. those students. And so, you know, for me, I think it's a matter of, of noticing them just as much as I notice those those introverts that we talked about earlier sitting yeah. back, right? Yeah. For me, I can I can notice that that student talking constantly or or being the first person to answer questions or the first person to talk, you know, on any kind of discussion point. For me, I see that as, you know, they're they're not necessarily trying to monopolize. They may not even realize that they're monopolizing the conversation. Quite often what they're doing is is thinking out loud in the, in the same way that Good you know point. your colleague might might doodle to be thinking mm-hmm. or might listen intently and, and process fully in a way that is not visible to the rest of us in the room. I think those those extroverted students or anytime those students are you know really talking at, at, at length and, and talking to the point that might get tiresome for other people, you know, I see that as them also processing. It's just a different way of doing that. And so mm-hmm. for me, what I try to do is is balance that out because I, I know that, you know, certainly, like you said, there are some introverts in the room who will see that as sort of a, a, a relief or, a, you know, them being, you know, kind of off the hook of having to talk because mm-hmm. someone else will take the floor. Mm-hmm. Certainly I've been there too and, and appreciate that. But I, I think what happens sometimes is, we can all listen to to that person or to that set of people and assume that that's the right way to think or that's the that's the correct answer or it's the the you know the best way to to move about you know thinking about whatever that that topic or situation is just because it's the most vocal and and it's not necessarily always you know the one right answer or the best answer and so for me as a as a teacher I try to think through 
you know, how can I create conditions in a classroom setting where everyone feels comfortable to process and participate? And so what that looks like is, you know, creating activities in a, a classroom where we can engage with the material and one another in different sorts of ways to, to make sure that we're able to each perform, you know, our understanding, our engagement with the material and the content in whatever way is most comfortable. So, for example, you know, I might pose a, a topic or a question or a situation to the class. And then rather than just having one large class discussion about it, where, you know, inevitably the extroverts will sort of kind of take over and, and introverted students might kind of sit back. What we might do instead is break that down into a smaller um, sort of think, pair, share activity where we would first ask students individually, you know, silently to to think through that that situation or, or case or, or whatever the, the task at hand is. And then after a couple of minutes of collecting their own thoughts, turn to a neighbor and, and discuss just the two of you and come to your own, you know, paired sense of understanding. And then we'll come back together as a whole class and those who want to can can share their individual or paired discussions. And then that way, you know, we're able to first and foremost make space for the introverts to have their time to to sort of quietly think and process and, and come to some understanding. And then it becomes this really lower stakes way to enter that conversation because we know that we're all sort of on the same page. We've all had that time to process, whether it was individually and internally or in a paired, you know, kind of verbal uh, manner. So, so little things like that that you pick up along the way that are ways that we can, you know, really balance so that everyone in the classroom is, you know, at least on this personality dimension, able to, to engage and, and connect with the material in a way that meets their needs as, as best we can. What a thoughtful, mindful strategy and something that could be implemented anywhere. So I, I love that, and I hope people are listening and will will consider something like that. That's wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's something that, you know, could easily be a strategy that you replicate in mm-hmm. your, you know, your office meeting, mm-hmm. your, your team meeting, yeah. at work, whatever the case may be. That's That, that think-pair-share strategy is effective, you know, even outside of classrooms, certainly. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And now I would love to switch gears and talk about COVID-19. As you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic that has altered our economy, has affected the lives of many as we've lost friends and family. And what I want to talk about as related to introversion is the whole social distancing and the shelter at home, shelter in place. And so I want to know how has it impacted you? We keep seeing all these jokes about the introverts are, you know, are cruising through all of this. I see all these funny things on Twitter and, you know, extroverts are having a hard time. And I even see that with my friends who need to see me more and they would need to talk to me more. And we're having Zoom cocktail hours and all of these things because they need that. And so I'm curious about how is it impacting you? How are you managing as an introvert in terms of socialization and the restrictions we have, and also as it relates to teaching and leading a department. Yeah, that's, you know, I wish I had the answer to that. (laughs) It's challenging. So, you know, first and foremost, we are 
safe and and well and employed um, and and I think mm-hmm. we in, in my household are are probably in as good of a position as we can be in mm-hmm. and so so first and foremost you know really thankful for that mm-hmm. and and certainly wish the same for for you and, and everyone listening as well I think you know at first so let's see it's it's May that we're we're talking we've been doing this for for you know nearly two months or so now. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I think at first it was a little bit of a relief. There was this little moment for me at first of, you know, sort of sanctioned mandatory introvert time. And, <laughs> and it's great, you know, like there, there was a, maybe a week or so where that was fantastic. And, you know, and, and I think for me, it was, it was almost sort of permission to mm-hmm. not be on guard. It was permission yeah. to, to live into being an introvert, yeah. right? I think there, there's a lot of time where, you know, I mentioned my husband is an extrovert and, and there's, a, you know, for, for many years, I think we've been trying to figure out, you know, how, how is it that we balance that? How do we make sure that he's getting the extrovert time that he needs? I'm getting the introvert time that I need. And, you know, how, how can we be a good, a good kind of balance and, and counterweight for one another? So, you know, at first for me, what this looked like was, a feeling of sort of relief that I didn't have to pretend to be an extrovert for yeah. a minute, right? Uh-huh. I didn't have to worry about whether I was being boring or, you know, whatever yeah. the thoughts are that, that go through our mind that you know, may not be fully logical, but nonetheless. So, so at first it was great. And I, I think certainly for our, you know, extroverts in our life, we could see that taking a toll. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it leads to, I think, a... Um, we're seeing a, a lot of certainly conversation around around mental health and around that need for socialization that we all have, regardless of uh, of our our personality style. We are innately social creatures, and so as these weeks have gone on, you know, it it has gotten harder. It's it's gotten really refreshing to have. I've had those, you know, Zoom or, or FaceTime happy hours certainly game nights with family and friends over the internet and, and those sorts of things that really have been surprisingly refreshing and, and surprisingly sort of fulfilling for me. You know, that's that's been been good. I think professionally, um, you know, we at National Lewis University are fortunate. So, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. There's a lot of uncertainty certainly in the post-secondary education sector in terms of just with this pandemic and and the, all of the effects of it will hold for us in the future. I think at our university, because we were already substantially online, we have multiple campuses in the Chicagoland area, we have a campus in Florida, and a significant number of online students around the country, you know, we were sort of primed for this. We already had a lot of Zoom meetings, we already, you know, worked remotely to a degree, we already taught remotely to a degree. So in some ways, this was sort of just a a progression of, of things that we had already been fortunate to put into place. Where I worry about it is, you know, I think our faculty and students who don't feel that sense of relief here, right? That, you know, for those first couple of weeks where it was sort of this pleasant time of all of us being introverts, after that, you start seeing it really take a toll on people. And particularly with our students and faculty, you know, we think about over-Zooming. We think about, you know, is it is it really productive? So, you know, I mentioned that our, our classes meet for three hours, you know, typically in person on campus. Well, you, you can't just do three hours on Zoom uh, and have it be the same effectiveness. 
right? You can't sit for three hours and, and pay attention to the computer screen. It's just, it's not the same thing. And so where for a moment, I think introverts had our, um, our, our time in the sun to be, you know, everybody was, was sort of forced to be an introvert, like I said, for a while, you know, we're now seeing, I think, even that, that while that's something we may have wished for, you know, for a number of years that, oh, we would finally be the, the, the dominant personality. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we now see that balancing that, regardless of whether it's, you know, more introverts in society or more extroverts, what matters is is how we balance those two, how we balance and, and make it not the case that extroverts have to, you know, become exhausted by performing introversion, you know, mm-hmm. during this pandemic as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of just rambling now, but nonetheless, I think there's something there to that idea that we move through life typically with, you know, most people being extroverts and that being sort of this dominant trait that, that mm-hmm. we see in society as sort of preferred or, yeah. or kind of the, the way that most people move through. Well, when that shifted and, and, you know, we became all, you know, sort of mandatory introverts, we now see the reverse of, of what that typically causes. And so I, I think the lesson there is, you know, again, making space for, for all of us to have what we need out of our interaction. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we're, we're learning so much about this, the pandemic as it relates to everything with our economy, personalities, I feel like everything. Um, oh, absolutely. So in closing, you've given a ton of advice, I feel, but I just wanted to ask you, is there any other tip? Is there any advice that you'd like to give? It could be personal, professional, academically, to an introvert who may be listening. Yeah. So, so two things. I think first, my advice, and and this is certainly easier said than done, but my first piece of advice would be to to fully sort of own yourself, your personality, your needs, and recognize that they don't have to be a deficit the way that they are typically framed. So, you know, if you're someone who is an introvert listening and you're, you know, in a, a position where you have to move through life being an extrovert um, or performing extroversion, you know, it's okay and it's it's necessary to to advocate for for yourself and and for what you need in order to be successful in whatever that role is that that causes you to to live in an extroverted space. And then my second piece of advice, you know, sort of uh, related to the the pandemic, and and this would be for all of us, is you know I think introverts have this innate talent of knowing what's going on internally for themselves. We, you know, tend to, to be really introspective. We tend to be very inquisitive and, and aware of ourselves, our bodies, our, our feelings, our, you know, mental state. And so with all of this going on, you know, I'm, I'm always an advocate for, for people taking good care of their mental health and I'm seeking help for for any kind of um, mental health concerns that they have. But I think in this pandemic, we all are in that space where, you know, for for any of us, there there is value always in in asking for help. And and so I think if you're an introvert or extrovert listening who recognizes that, you know, perhaps you don't feel like yourself and and perhaps you're not um, feeling a hundred percent comfortable with with your your time of you know mandatory introversion or or, or being indoors and and staying away from you know your family or, or other large gatherings. It's important to to recognize that and to ask for help and to you know reach out to any of those those sorts of resources that are available 
to to make sure that, that we're all maintaining our, our health and wellness, you know, not only physically, certainly, but mentally and emotionally as well. Well said. Well said. Thank you so much, Nate. This has been amazing. We appreciate you joining us on Hush Loudly and maybe talking to you again in the near future. Great. Thanks so much, Jerry. And, and thank you so much for, for your work here and, and for creating a space that, that really does recognize and, and affirm and support introverts in society. And I, I so appreciate you having me. Thank you. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash introverts hush loudly and listen to past episodes at wgnradio.com or hushloudly.com. <laughs>